uh, to lead worship and to speak um, and just to visit for a little bit with everybody. And um, I really appreciate Joy's um, kind of introduction or whatever there. I was, when we were singing the one song just about like God's faithfulness and his goodness chasing after us and um, stuff like that, I was thinking um, one of my greatest reminders of God's faithfulness, funny enough, is my Facebook time hop um, because every once in a while it'll throw up a picture and I can look and remember um, who I was when that picture was taken, where I was at when that picture was taken. Um, it's usually between seven and eight, nine years ago. And then I can kind of, because you know how it'll show, I was actually looking at this this morning is why it kind of showed me that, um, where it shows, you know, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, nine years ago. And I can just really watch that progression of the pictures of myself, where I was at, who I was six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And then it shows like last year and then the year before and stuff like that. And it's just an amazing, I think, testament to God's faithfulness in my life. Um, every, almost every day or every other day when I, when I scroll through that and I can see where I was at seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, and it's just, it's just really cool and it just really blesses me. Um, especially in this season of Easter, as I was putting this together, um, one of the things that God was just kind of speaking to me on is just kind of reflecting um, just what I would, I guess, sum it all up is, is just truth, right? Just reflecting on the truth of God, um, reflecting on who God is, on who God says he is, and what God has done in our lives. Um, so I'm just hoping, I know for myself on a personal level, um, putting this together, and I know moving forward, especially coming into next week, is just really going to be a time for me to reflect on um, just who God is and, and what God has done. And it should, I think, when we slow our lives down and really look at who God is and what he has done, it should really encourage us and just breathe life into any situation we're going through you know, knowing that what God has brought us through, knowing that the same God who brought us through these things over the last several years is the same God moving forward with us. Um, our God is unstoppable. Right. There is literally nothing that anybody or anything can do to stop the will of God in our lives. There's nothing anybody can do to change the plans of God in our life. Um, there was one time I was kind of particularly struggling with something, and God just clearly spoke to me, and what he said to me was, is like, Jonas, there's literally... Nothing that, that anybody or anything can do to change my plans for you, right? God's plans and God's calling on our lives are irrevocable. Um, so I just want to encourage us with that this morning. That's not really quite what I'm preaching on. Um, but I just think Easter should be especially uh, like taking communion, right? That's one of the main things that Jesus actually left us when he left this earth for, to observe, um, we have a lot of observances, especially, you know, different denominations have different observances. This is actually one of the only ones that Jesus actually kind of commanded us to observe when you break bread together, when you do this. Remember me, remember Easter specifically. Um, so I just thought that was kind of cool that we did communion, which, by the way, I've never seen those little packets. Those are pretty cool, I think, I would, I would imagine. It makes it easy to print. Yes, yeah, so the... Yeah, <laughs> I, had to, I had to open the little kids' and that helped me learn, so I struggled with it, I'll be honest. Um, so I'll pray real quick before I get into this. Um, Father, we thank you for this day, God. I thank you for the opportunity, uh, Lord, to share your word, God. Um, just what an awesome responsibility for each one of us, God, to um, just portray to the people around us who you are, God. That's what Christian means, God. It's Christ-like. God, that when we call ourselves that, when we claim that title, God, we are, we are assuming an, an 
just, just an awesome responsibility on ourselves to correctly portray to people who you are. Um, God, so I pray j- just as I share this, God, that your Holy Spirit would just take over. God, I give this to you, Lord, um, just that you would touch each heart as, as your spirit would see fit. God, we know that you say your word uh, does not return void. God, it will accomplish what you send it out to do. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the sermon series, and I wasn't obviously here last week, but I understand Joe Liggett spoke last week. I'm going to assume it was great. Yeah, um, yeah I've heard him speak a couple times, and it's always been really good. Um, so change, change, this changes everything, um, I think is what, yeah, the sermon series um, title is. So the, what I'm going to be speaking on this morning is grace. I'm going to be speaking on God's grace. And I putting this together, um, I'm just very reminded of how... Uh, woefully inadequate I am to really portray or convey the depths of God's grace in our lives. So I'm just going to trust that God will speak to your heart um, concerning his grace for your life. So I'm going to speak of two aspects of grace, kind of a a brief kind of generic version of grace of what I was taught anyway was is that, you know, mercy is God withholding what we deserve and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, right? That the mercy of God is him withholding the punishment of our sins. The grace of God is him actually giving us something, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is God's grace for salvation. God's grace for salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is probably one of the the greatest verses that would speak into this. Um, It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This should be a humbling verse in our lives, I believe. Um, I am saved by the same thing you are saved by. My works don't stack up against your works to give me any favor in God's eyes to give me any standing in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I'm glad for that because my works are inadequate, right? They fall far short of what, of what God's standard for our lives are. God's very clear about that in his scripture. Um, this should encourage us, right? This should, this should um, just again, just that, just truth, the life that, that this truth should bring in to our lives um, is that there's, there's just such a, I think, a peace and a freedom in knowing that, that my salvation is bought by the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. That I don't earn it. I cannot earn it. And that's just, there's freedom, I think, in that. Yeah. There's freedom in that. Um, I think this should affect maybe the way we treat other people um, within the kingdom of God, within the church, knowing again that our salvation is bought um, by the same blood. Their, their soul, their salvation is just as valuable as mine. Right, the, 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 the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross bought your salvation is the same that bought mine. There is, there's no variance in that in our, val- our, you know, our value in the eyes of God. So the, the thing about this verse when I'm um, like reading it and stuff is, is that we have been saved, right? That we've been saved. But what have we been saved from? Well, for those of us who have been in the church for any amount of time, it's obvious we're saved from sin and we're saved from death, right? But for those who have not grown up in the church, for those who are not believers, if there's anybody in here this morning, I'm going to use scripture to kind of teach this or prove this, the sin and the death. 
Um, but this is meaningless if you just reject the authority of the Bible, right? Scripture means nothing if, if it's not viewed as the ultimate authority, the word of God in our lives. And I think that's one of the greatest assaults on the church today is the, the, just that tearing and the chipping away of, of the truth of the word of God, that this, this is the true spirit-breathed word of God, and it is the ultimate truth. It is, the, it is actually the ultimate judge of our lives, right? Yeah. That we will be judged by the word spoken in the Bible. That is the ultimate authority over our lives, and I think that's one of the greatest points of attack um, against the, the, the church and against people today is to tear down the, and, and at least erode this baseline morality, Right, because if the Bible isn't truth, then what is truth? And now we got these crazy, it's just crazy, I think, the truth that some people are latching on to in the world today because they have no baseline for truth. Because if this isn't truth, then almost whatever you conjure up in your brain can be truth, right? If there's no standard of truth. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because when I preach, and I would assume anybody who teaches or talks about the Bible, like I don't, I don't really argue with people about the validity, validity of the Bible or the authority of the Bible. I know it's the truth of God, so I speak it as if it's the truth of God. It is the ultimate authority over our lives, and its words are the ultimate authority um, over any conversation or any discussion. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, because the Bible actually teaches us that we walk in sin that we all are sinners, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. That is each and every one of us. We all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Uh, this actually, this in kind of passage precedes the verses 2, or chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. This precedes that. Um, it's a little bit earlier in the chapter. So he says, And you he made alive, who were, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So Paul, you know, in this letter, obviously, is talking to the church at Ephesus. So he's talking to the believers, the Christians, those who are following God. Um, but again, he's just making this blanket statement, and you know, that you all were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." So again, Paul is just doing this, this blanket as he did in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As he's teaching, and, or he's, as he's writing the church in Ephesus, he just makes this absolute blanket statement that we all, we all walk according to the prince of the power of the air. We were all on this path towards this destruction. The Bible teaches us that this sin that we walk in leads to death. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And I also think, just real quick, it doesn't have much to do with what I'm talking about, but this verse right here I think is a really good, it's a really good thing to, to, to know, study, and meditate on um, because I think it would help us to resist temptation, right? If we understand 
why we are being drawn away, right? If we understand when we make a mistake, I don't know if anybody else in here has done this, you just kind of sit back and you look at what you have done and you're just like, now how in the world did that happen? Yeah. How did I get there, yeah. right? And you should be able to kind of backtrack your, your thinking, your decision-making, all of that stuff back to this. You have desires inside of you. That's your flesh, right? Yeah. And while, while, while we're not forced to sin, right? Satan doesn't make you sin. He will certainly dangle things in front of you. This actually kind of gives a picture of fishing, right? That you, the, the lure is tossed into the water and it's kind of pulled. And, and, and the fisherman, any, any good fisherman, I'm not one. I could care less about fishing. Uh, but one of my best friends is actually an avid fisherman, has been since he was a little child. And you watch him fish and he does. That's, he is trying to draw, especially like, like bass, out of where they're hiding and tries to draw them out to latch onto the lure. And that's what Satan does with us, right? He knows your desires. He knows what is going to draw you out. And he's just every little tiny angle, um, which way it's very important to be aware of this. We cannot be ignorant of the fact that our enemy is a roaring lion, right? That he is always, always seeking to destroy and to pull you and draw you out wherever he can. Verse 15, then when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So this is a progression, right? It starts with this, this desire that, that is within us. We're enticed by this desire. The more we think about it, the more it kind of, it's kind of like that, that idea of being conceived. I mean, it's like brought forth within you, right, and given life. Something's being worked on in there, inside of you, that, that gives it life, right? And then that gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown in our lives, it brings forth death. That is an absolute. It's an absolute. And Paul, I think this is one of the greatest um, descriptions of, of this kind of inner struggle of sin in our lives. Um, I don't think you can really talk about sin and struggle without Romans 7. Um, so I'm just going to kind of read through this. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who, who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I think it's probably one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And that, again, speaks of God's grace, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, is the grace of God. For I do not do the good that I want, but, I do the, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but, the, but sin that dwells within me. I'm reading this just to kind of reiterate the fact that this sin dwells within us, yeah. that we walk in this sin. This is part of us. In our, in our flesh. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I do, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Right there, there is inside of him a desire to do good that he, he reads the law of God, he studies the law of God, he walks with God, he knows God, and there is this deep desire within Paul that delights at that, that loves that. But then he goes on to say in verse 23, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, there is that death that that sin brings forth. And Paul is recognizing that and he's saying, oh, wretched man that I am. He's recognizing this part of himself that is in bondage to this sin nature. And he cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course, we know that that comes through Jesus Christ, right? right. Grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. And as I talk about grace this morning, I did several years ago um, kind of a study on grace. And one of the things I found interesting when you study grace or when you read these verses and talk about these verses about grace is you can almost literally transpose or, or insert the name of Jesus into where it says grace, right? For by grace are we saved. For by Jesus are we saved. It is a gift of God. And John actually talks about that in John chapter 1. He says, And the word became flesh, this is starting in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So what is that fullness? What's the fullness that he's talking about? I believe it's on one hand the fullness of who Jesus was, fully God, fully man, right? And then the fullness of his life on this earth, right? The, 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 what God had sent him to do, he did it. That is the fullness of it, right? When he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. Like he has fulfilled what God had sent him to do. For from that, for from his fullness, for, for from that, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. I found something interesting, again, kind of studying this. This is, try not to spend a lot of time on this. I don't have any of this written down. But there is this idea of people using, and Paul talks about it in Romans, um, using the grace of God as an excuse to sin. As if somehow because God has freely given us his grace, that that somehow excuses and you hear people say, thank God we're not under the law, right? We're under grace now. Like that somehow ch changes God's character and his view on sin. A way to look at this is, and I, I, researching this, I watched and read, John Bevere actually spoke on this, right? So and this is what John Bevere says. He said, when Jesus came onto the scene, right? So, so Moses gave us the law. Jesus gave us grace, yeah. Right? So under the law, Moses said that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's law, right? That's under the law. But when Jesus came who gave us grace, he said, you have heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you even look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. That's grace. So the standard under the law is actually doing it. Our standard under grace is thinking it. 
So actually, when you, when you look at it that way, the standard of our lifestyle under the grace of God is actually a higher standard. God calls us to a higher standard under his grace. And I'll, I'll talk about that just in a little bit, but I want to say, like, I, I, I praise God for his grace, especially, like, this morning what I talked about first came in when Joy was talking about, and, and we all have our testimony, and I won't get into a lot of that, but I was a drug addict, and I went through Teen Challenge, and God had spoken to me as a very, very small child um, and given me promises um, that I've held dear my entire life through all of the filth that I lived, through all of the heartache and all of the pain and all of that stuff, and I'm watching God work, and it's just phenomenal to me. It is just amazing to me. God's faithfulness to his word, right? That's what he's faithful to. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. And I I praise God for that. I praise God for his grace as salvation, that justification, right? Um, Another, that word justification, um, I've heard it kind of described as this, that that God looks, just what justification means is that God looks at, at us just as if we've never sinned. Right? That's what the blood of Christ has done to our lives. Right? That God now looks at us through that lens of Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection, and that grace that God pours over our lives. That God doesn't look at us that way anymore. He now looks at us as though we are already perfect in his eyes because of what his son has done. I thank God for that. I do that. When I go to God, I don't have to, although I do, I don't have to carry my guilt to him. I don't have to approach him under this false, twisted sense of humility where I have to almost grovel at him. Even though I should because he is God, but God doesn't want that from us. Paul says that I approach the throne room of grace boldly. It's not a boldness of self. It's a boldness of a knowledge of what the grace of God actually does in our lives. Right, And that's how we now approach God, through that boldness. And I love that. I love that because I mess up all of the time. And if I had to carry my mess up in front of God all of the time, we wouldn't get anywhere. We would just constantly be talking about my mess. But God doesn't want to talk to us about our mess, that we're justified in that. That mess doesn't exist in our walk with God anymore. There is no condemnation. This is hard, I believe. This is hard for us to grab a hold of. Because God doesn't look at us as we are today, as we see ourselves. That's the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. That's the beauty of the grace of God. That's how we talk about this changes everything. That's something that grace has absolutely changed, is how we approach God and how God views us. It's beautiful. God calls us a new creation. He calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus calls us his friends. When we're called as witnesses for Christ, this is our witness, right? When I'm to tell people about the goodness of God, this is my witness, that God's grace has covered me. And I'm justified before the eyes of God. That's the good news, right? But it's also important to note that we can't just look at grace in this one way. It's not simply just a big cover-up for our sin. And we cannot look 
at grace as simply covering our sin, covering our flesh, and dismissing our disobedience. We can't look at Jesus simply as our get-out-of-hell-free card. There's more to it than that. There's more to Jesus than that. And there's absolutely more to our walk with God than simple salvation. Although salvation isn't simple, and I don't mean to call it that, but there's so much more to the grace of God. I can't even cover it all, but what I think God wants us to know and, and talk about this morning is his grace for sanctification. We talked about his grace for salvation, now his grace for sanctification. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is the working out, the working outwardly of what has already been done inwardly. It is a synonym for the word holiness. It is a lifelong work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When I was in Teen Challenge, one of the things when they, you do a class, it's like a week-long class, and it's on your testimony, and they kind of teach you how to give like a brief two- to three-minute testimony um, when you're sharing with people what God has done in your life. Um, excuse me. One of the things that they encourage you to do is find, and a lot of people in here probably have, like a life verse, right? They have a verse that, has, that is just a foundation to their walk with God. It's a foundational in their relationship with God. And one of the ones that God gave me was, It's Philippians um, 1 and 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you, sorry, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There There is a work that God wants to do in our lives before we stand before him, before we enter into eternity, right? God is absolutely he is absolutely, what's the word I'm looking for? He is just, he's just, I don't want to use the word obsessed, but incessant. How about that word, incessant? That means he doesn't stop this pursuit of sanctification in our lives. The, the pulling out and, and doing away with the things that don't look like God, Right? And then implanting the things that do look like God. I don't have this verse, but I'm going to read it. It's Romans 8.28. And what I think, more importantly, Romans 8.29. Sorry. One of the most well-known verses And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then this next verse speaks right into the sanctification that what I'm talking about. There's there's, um, kind of a, there's a reason God tells us to study the whole counsel of God. Because we can take this one verse, and people have done it. Um, There's even in love Jesus culture, I'm not talking bad about them, they're very anointed but there's that part of that song where they're, they're using this verse and they say that God, for we know God works all things to my good. And because we are people and we can tend and lean towards selfishness and self-focused, right? Yes, narcissistic and all of that stuff. Everything's around, about me and it revolves around me. We can take that my good and start implanting our own ideas of what the goodness of God is. 
right? So that when we're looking at, at, at these things that we're going through in life, that somehow God's going to work this out to the good. But what does good mean? What is the goodness of God? He tells us in the very next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he has also glorified. So God calls us. By his grace, he justifies us. And by his grace, he is seeking to make us into the image of his son. That is sanctification. That is the work that God wants to do in our lives, to make us more like his son, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. When we look at, at our lives and we go through these things and we, we quote that verse, Romans eight twenty eight, it's my life verse. God works all things to the good. Well, what's the good? The good is becoming more like Jesus. That should open up a, just a, a new way to look at the struggles of life. That God isn't necessarily going to work this to the good of my electric bill, although hopefully he does, right? Or the good of this or the good of that or this goodness that we see as goodness. God has such a broader and vision of, of what he wants in our life. The grace of God begins this work at salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Yes. Okay. Titus 2, 11 through 14, I think this is, I say this actually a lot because the, the Bible's so powerful, but this is, I think, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the entire Bible, and I think it speaks directly to what we're talking about here, both with grace for salvation and grace for sanctification Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. Again, insert Jesus into grace. For Jesus has appeared, right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's one thing. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I don't think we can discount the importance of God's work in our lives this side of heaven. There is a work that God wants to do in our lives before we die. He can't do this after we die. He does this work in us while we're on this earth. And then verse 13, if you um, haven't memorized for your test the um, 16 cardinal doctrines of the assemblies of God, <laughs> it's uh, number 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. That means to buy back, to bring back from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the work that God wants to do in our lives. I'm going to read it again. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That doesn't mean just turning away. That means speaking out against. I believe that. That we renounce it. That we condemn it. This is sin. It's ungodly. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for, for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God empowers us to do this. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So I'm going to talk about a couple ways that God uses this work or uses to, um, to kind of work this sanctification um, into us. One is through trials and tribulation, which kind of goes back into the Romans 8.28 and 8.29, right? That as we go through life and we go through these things, God is seeking to, to turn them and use them to conform us to the image of his son. My brethren, this is James 1, 2 through 4, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's a work in this that we're responsible for, right? We're responsible for a portion of this. One, counting it joy when we fall into various trials. Because we know, we know that our faith is being tested And that will produce patience in us. And then he says, but let that patience have its perfect work. That's on us. We have to allow that to work into us. One one of the main ways I think we can do that is to have a correct perspective on what is actually going on in our lives right now. What is really going on in our life right now? God is seeking to work this to our good. This part of the scripture, the goodness of God is patience. Because he goes on to say, that when patience has its perfect work in you, you will be perfect and you will lack nothing. How would you like to be perfect and how would you like to lack nothing? Another way God does this is through his word. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you are struggling this morning with finding the will of God in your life, start and keep reading the Bible. Study the Bible. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Apply it to your life. And, and you, you will be able to discern the will of God. You will be able to see what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect in God and what God has for your life. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, this again is talking about how the word of God works this into us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. There's that word again, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The word of God washes us. It washes us. That's probably, throughout, throughout Teen Challenge, that's probably one of the most powerful things that they, they allow. I know they don't give this to you because you have to do it on your, on your own. But they give you space and time and opportunity to read the Word of God daily. Daily. For hours. You have two-hour study all six days a week. Read the Word of God. And again, it's not just a smack your change because you read two Bible verses. We've read seven or eight of them this morning. And... That alone isn't going to do it, right? You have to keep 
reading and study and apply and meditate and delight yourself. Remember in the verse earlier, Paul says that he delights himself within himself. He delights in the law of God. Are you delighting in the word of God? When you read it, do you, do you pull it in and, and love it, knowing that it washes you, knowing that it cleanses you, knowing that the word of God will purify you? It will change your life, not just your life. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you react. It'll calm you down inside. All of this anxiety and tension that the world throws at us constantly, the word of God will just, it just washes that. It just purifies that. So in, in this, and again, the, the, the subject of grace is so, it's just so vast. You could spend weeks and months talking about it. Um, what I want to talk about a little bit closing this this morning, and God has really, God has really um, challenged me in this area. Um, again, over these last this last week and stuff, uh, reading through this and studying this, I had a conversation um, with my mom not too long ago. We were talking about the church and how the church is affecting culture today, or more more times than not, is affected by culture. Um, and just what, what's really going on. And, and I believe what God has shown me is, is it's a lack of faith in God's people that God can actually change somebody. And not just like we cry tonight and it's really moving and then tomorrow we're the exact same person we were the night before, right? But that God can actually get a hold of somebody. That God can actually get a hold of a community or a body, or a city, or a nation, or a government official, or a president, and radically change their heart. I do believe there is a lack of faith in that. When I was in Teen Challenge, I was talking um, to a guy there, because that's, that's what I have I've heard more than actually have seen kind of stories about people who were radically changed. I think probably Pastor Josh is a really good example of that, that you're one way, and it, is this correct, right? And then God just touches you, and you're radically changed. That didn't happen for me. It took years of struggling. And this is, I think that's actually the norm, I think, in the church, um, that, that it's a process. It is this process of God working and changing in our lives. And I had grown through because I was struggling with addiction, I had just grown so impatient and tired of struggle and failure that I would just go on and on like with my mom, like, why doesn't God just do something about this? So when I went into Teen Challenge, that was one of the things that I really wanted to see. I really, really wanted to see God move in people's lives. I want to see it. I've read it. It's all through the Bible. I've heard stories. I want to see it. So I was talking to one of the, the um, staff members there, his brother, brother Todd, um, was the, over the kitchen ministries or whatever. Uh, but I was talking to him about that one, one morning, and he was like, Jonas, watching God work in other people's lives is not going to convince you of the power of God. Seeing God work in your life is what's going to convince you of the power of God. And I think if there's a lack of faith that God can actually change somebody, it begs the question, do you have faith that either God has or can or will change you or is in that process? That, that God's actually working, even if you don't feel him today, that he's actually doing something. 
It takes faith to grab a hold of what Jesus desires to do in us and through us. It takes faith. The Bible talks about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. They call it the hall of faith. It's one of the greatest chapters on faith. The first verse says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance. It's weighty. There's something there. The evidence of things not seen, but just because it's not seen doesn't mean it doesn't have substance in us. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. Hebrews 11 goes on to say the words by faith 18 different times to talk about the men and the women of God who acted out of pure faith in the promises of God. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab are some of the names listed in that chapter. Hebrews 11.13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That talks about action. Abraham, and we could read through all of 11, these men and women did something based on that faith. They actually acted upon that faith. Abraham left everything to chase after this promise of God. And the Bible says that he died not seeing it. But his faith pleased God so much that God counted that to him as righteousness. Even though he didn't see it, that, you talk about substance. That's a faith that has so much substance in the eyes of God that God counted that as righteous. Even though all of our works are as filthy rags before God, God looked at his faith and said, that's righteousness in my eyes, that belief that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Amen. That's what I would, I would say God wants to challenge us with this morning. Um, not even so much challenge, but just I, I, I've looked at Easter, especially this year, as just a time for reflection, right? That's what communion is, right? And that's what Jesus said. When you do this, think back, examine yourself, think of what I've done, right? A time of reflection. If you guys can stand, come up. I would ask you kind of a simple question that God has challenged me with. And that's, do you believe that God is doing what he has said he's going to do in your life, right? So we talk about, and I know the, the, the purpose of this body is to affect the community that it serves, Right? right. I mean, that's why we're here, right? But it's not, it's, not, it's not watching God work in other people that's going to convince you that God wants to change this community. It's God changing you, right? God, God working in your heart. <clears throat> so I think that's one of the things God wants to ask us this morning is do you believe do you believe? Not that God is real, not that God loves you, not even that Jesus died for you and rose from the grave, but do you believe that God is actively at work in your life? 
is God actively at work in your life? When that Facebook time hop pops up and you see pictures from two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, do you look more like Jesus today than you did back then? And and if your answer is yes, then don't ever lose that yes. Because you're not going to get that yes every single day, right? We're not going to feel that every single day. But there is a thing that God, I think, wants from us, and that is to, you know, as the people of Israel went through the wilderness, or, or when they just as a nation became throughout the entire Old Testament, there were moments where they would stop, they would build something, usually out of stones, and they would say that this is to remember what God has done. And then usually right after that, it says, and that place is still called this, 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 and that, right? And, and the people, they never lost that. That they as, they, as they, the family traveled to go visit whatever, um, and they see that, that, that pile of stones there. And the kids would say, what is that? And the father or the mother or whoever would say, this is where God did this. I would ask you, do you have that in your life this morning? That you can look back on this thing and say, God did this here. And because God did this here, God can do this here. Or God is doing this now. Father, we thank you, Lord, just for you. God, that you are faithful and you are true. God, you are far more committed to us than we could even dream of being towards you. And I just want to, God, just by faith speak out, and I would encourage you to do this right now. By faith speak out and say, God, I know that you are working in my life. I know that you have worked in my life. I know that I am not the same person that I was when I met you. God, you are actively at work in my heart. You are actively at work in my home. You are actively at work in this church. And through that, God desires to be actively involved in those around us and in the community around us. But it has to start, I believe, honestly, genuinely, this morning with an acknowledgement verbally between you and your heart and God. God, I believe you when you say that you will work all things to the good because I am called according to your purpose and I love you. We thank you, Jesus. I know if anybody needs prayer or wants to pray that there's uh, men and women that'll pray with you. I'll pray with you, Pastor Josh, Pastor Joy. Um, I just, I hope you guys are blessed. I hope that you think about this. I'm not even gonna say all day, for always. That we, we purpose in our heart to not allow life or the enemy or other people Move us away from this. God, I believe that you will fulfill what you have said.
that you will do. Amen.